holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Ascast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a technically bereft goodly morning to you. Yeah, yeah, goodly morning to you. I mean, is it a goodly morning, though? It's not been a goodly morning so far. We've been beset with uh, technical issues, but... We're here. We're going again. We are. starting strong. We're starting. We'd recorded about nine minutes and having done 220 episodes of this podcast, uh, this podcast, see, it's 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 uh, affecting even the way I speak, but uh, having done 220 episodes, I can safely say, and I don't think you would uh, contradict me here in any way, that they were probably the worst nine minutes of audio we have ever produced. They were probably up there. I mean, I, what's great is that that nine minutes is going to kind of go down in infamy now and i think almost we should we should probably make it available at some point you know in the future when we do the thousandth episode we'll release that nine minutes as a special podcast just to show everyone how truly terrible at this we can yeah exactly exactly even with all the experience it was just woeful really really bad i mean alex oxlade chamberlain as a caterpillar where was that coming from i don't know i don't know i mean i feel like there with that we've kind of we're sort of hinting at that and if i was a listener at this point i'd probably want to know i'd feel like oh that sounds interesting i wonder what the bit about alex oxlade chamberlain being a caterpillar is. don't worry about it honestly get on with your lives we we've moved on. you need to move on let it go it sounds appealing, but in reality, it was just nonsense. Yeah, it really was. Absolute abject nonsense, uh, which we should never speak of again, um, which is a shame really as well, because there's not an awful lot going on. We were talking a little no. bit about how, how there's nothing happening during this particular interlal. I told the most boring story of all time. Uh, uh, and you, do, in fairness to you, you did, you did well to sound vaguely interested in it. So I, I thank you for that. And I uh, appreciate your... Uh, your friendship in that regard. But we're going to have to pull something together. I suppose the one thing we did talk about that we could still talk about was uh, some of the Arsenal players on international duty, uh, one of whom we discussed was David Ospina playing for Colombia, had a bit of a nightmare presenting Olivier Giroud with a with a goal, basically, with some pretty terrible goalkeeping. And I was watching it, and as I said in the blog, I was thinking to myself, Ospina, oh, Jesus, look, he's done it again. That's hilarious. And then I realized that he has actually got to play in important games for us this season, and I didn't feel quite so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, amused by the whole thing. Uh, amused, or, uh, yeah, I don't know. You've, you, The fear crept into you. The fear that our, our season effectively is riding on David Espina's goalkeeping performances, that, you know, our chances of success are in his slippery gloves. It is a scary thought. 
It is, but uh, we came to a kind of logical conclusion, perhaps in the midst of that terrible nine minutes, so there was one little gem of, I won't say wisdom, but something that wasn't terrible, you know, which uh, doesn't Usable take much. content is Us- what you mean. Yeah. Usable <laughs> content. So the idea that uh, Petr Cech is the number one goalkeeper at the club. He plays in the Premier League because at the start of the season, the Premier League is deemed the most important competition for the club, right? So you play your best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Now, the Premier League is not the most important competition for us. It has, uh, the balance has shifted. Cup competition, namely the Europa League, is the most important. So is there a case to be made for perhaps switching, uh, doing the old switcheroo, I guess, where you play uh, Petr Cech in the Europa League and you play David Ospina in the Premier League. Or, you know, maybe just not play David Ospina at all. <laughs> just play, like, Rush Goalie. Yeah. No, well, I did no mean play Petr Cech rather than just Rush Goalie. But... Okay. Yeah, no, I think there is definitely an argument for that. Um, I, you know, what we were discussing, I said, basically, if by the time the Carabao Cup final rolled around arguably that was our priority and it's been uh, uh got the nod in that game it feels like Arsenal made his decision at the start of the season and is not going to waver from that but I do think the goalposts have, have moved as it were and I personally would love to see uh check in the Europa League games Ospina can play as much Premier League football as he wants between now and the end of the season because it doesn't matter a damn um yeah it is a it is, I suppose, something that every time I think about the Europa League and I dare to get optimistic and I put a toe in Leon, uh, David Espina is one of the things that kind of tugs at me and, and pulls me back to the reality of how, how tricky it might be to actually get there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it, it's, uh, it's a hugely important thing for us for the rest of the season. And I think, you know, I, I understand to an extent the way that the manager has managed his goalkeepers. You know, giving them both games. He feels like nowadays, in order to have two good goalkeepers, you have to give them games. Personally, I would prefer just to have a number one goalkeeper and a number two who will step in as and when. You know, you you look at the invincible season, for example, and our our backup keeper for most of that season was um, Graham Stack. Uh, there was no mm. question of having two w- so-called world-class goalkeepers. I'm not sure we do have two uh, world-class goalkeepers, um, despite what Arsene Wenger says about it. But if you're serious about winning something, if you're serious about winning the Europa League, I think you've got to play your best team. And I think our best team uh, and our best chance of winning it will probably come with Petr Cech. Of course, imagine if I say this now and Arsene Wenger does that and Petr Cech makes a mistake in the final. Yeah, yeah, the, the the internet trials will come for you if that happens. <laughs> uh, I mean, they both could make mistakes. I mean, you know, Czech's made some big mistakes this mm. season, as well as making some very important saves. And, you know, neither uh, is perfect, necessarily. It's kind of mm. the lesser of two evils to an extent. But I, I think, personally, I really do regard Czech as, as the lesser and the superior goalie. So I would I would like to see that happen, but I don't think it's realistic. I just don't see Arsene Wenger changing his mind about it at this point. Do you think there's any chance of that? No. No, I don't think so. I think he's made his decision and he will stick with it. He's given his word to Ospina that he played the cup games and uh, you know, his word is his bond and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, personally um, I I would find uh, his word or his promise to be 
uh, malleable, you know, in in terms of success for the club. I think I could put that to one side. I think I could live with Arsene mm. Wenger disappointing David Ospina if Petr Cech helped us to win the Europa League, right? And Cech has been there and done that in a European competition. He's gone the distance. And I think in, in, a, in a competition like this where the opposition starts to get a bit more uh, difficult, where the challenge becomes even greater, I just think having the experience of someone like Cech would be beneficial to the team. Um, so that's, that would be my thinking on that. But uh, like you, I don't, I don't see Arsene Wenger... Uh, changing his mind? No, no. I mean, he he can be quite intractable when he makes his decisions about something. Did you see his um his interview with Be In Sports? Uh, his customary Intelal interview that he gave. Yes, I did. I did. It was quite a it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Where he was asked about you know the Europa League as a happy ending, and he was having none of that. He was saying basically, no, yeah. I, you know, this is not about how people perceive me or what my reputation is. He doesn't think like that. He doesn't uh, think about going out on a, on a high. He just thinks about doing his best and doing his job uh, to the best of his ability. And, you know, I can sort of see the logic in that, but you'd like to think there'd be somebody who would go, listen, listen, you know, this would be an amazing thing for you. Uh, but, you know, I guess he's not interested in that. He's not interested in that kind of uh, a send-off. Whether that's to do with him being so focused on his job or whether he's so focused on continuing, he doesn't want to countenance the idea of leaving. I mean, what do you think it is? I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because on the face of it, it looks like humility, you know, to say, I don't want that glorious send off. I don't worry about the PR element of it. You know, I just want to do my job. I don't think about needing to finish it in a certain way. Mm. Um, But (laughs) that's on the one side, it looks a bit like humility. But on the other side, there's a, a kind of arrogance and a vanity to it as well, because he, you know, he, he also kind of, he, he, it's, it, why is that? Why, what's arrogant and vain about it? I suppose that his estimation of his own ability is so absolutely enormous and he doesn't necessarily see any reason that he should be considering or contemplating quitting anytime soon. I found it interesting and I, and it made me think that if things are going to end at the end of this season, it might not be something that everyone agrees with. You know, it might be a bit more uh, of a, a tempestuous discussion in that boardroom than, uh, yeah. than I had potentially envisaged. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, uh, winning the Europa League and Arsene Wenger deciding that he, it's time for him to go is the dream scenario for me. Absolutely the mm. dream. I also think winning the Europa League would put him in a position where there's nobody on that board who's going to turn around and say, well, thanks, but for your own sake, we're going to make a decision for you. We're going to fire you after winning a European trophy and uh, getting us back into the to the Champions League. Can you, you can't realistically see that happen, can you? Stan Kroenke's not going to say, well, I'm going to fire a coach who's just won a trophy and got the team back into the Champions League and is going to earn all that all that lovely Champions League money for me again. Yeah, that is the thing, isn't it? You know, you you kind of hope might be the wrong word to use, but you would it would be a nice idea that Arsenal could win a trophy and bow out, but equally you can see him taking that as ammunition for kind of arguing to stay. Mm. Um, you know, if if you go into that end of season review and say, well, what were the targets for the season? Because I've won silverware and got us back into the Champions League. Uh, you know, it's quite a strong case to make. And I don't, I like you, I have a doubts about the board's capacity to 
be decisive and firm in the face of that. Mm. Yeah, I just don't see any way that it would change unless he decides himself or somebody says to him, look, take this chance, take this opportunity to go out on an absolute high. And it would be, it would be a, a great way to go out. There's no question about that. Unless someone can convince him of that, then maybe it won't happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been very confident uh, for some time that we were witnessing the Arsene Wenger's last season at Arsenal. But funnily enough, as the path to the Europa League final kind of opens up before us, my certainty about that uh, diminishes a little bit because I, I do wonder if he gets there and he wins it. Mm. You know, I, I, I he's he's not uh, he's not got that quitting mentality, has he? he? Hasn't got as he says in his interview. He just doesn't have that desire to go out on top. He wants to keep going, keep challenging himself, keep pushing himself. Mm. Um, and I think he he's eschewed so many opportunities to go out on a glorious day in the past that I, I think he would probably do it again. And it's about how strong the board are prepared to be. And, yeah, you know, yeah. not very is my guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I, I, you know, personally, I, I can see the case for last season, you know, with Chelsea, but the real, the stepping back from it objectively, realistically, as a club, it wasn't maybe the right time to make the change, right? Whereas this time, mm. with all these new people in place, with this new backroom structure, et cetera, et cetera, it would be an absolutely, I think it would be a crazy decision for him to carry on. You know, considering everything else, like the Cup trophy, the Europa League trophy, it would be brilliant um, to win a trophy, to win a European trophy again. But I think for him personally to continue, you know, the reality of our season isn't just what we're doing in the Europa League. It is the, the Premier League. We're 33 points behind the leaders. We're in a group. We're not in the top uh, five, the top six anymore. That's the reality of our Premier League season. We're in a different group now. We're in a group with uh, Burnley and Everton and Watford, that kind of a group. That's where we are. We're not part of the big six this season. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the FA Cup, um, the FA Cups of the previous few years have been talked about as a kind of sticking plaster over our problems. If we won the Europa League, I don't know, it wouldn't be a sticking plaster, would it? It'd be like a kind of robot body that we've been given instead. It would be <laughs> such a, a vast uh, exaggeration of our capacity uh, as a team. It would really put a sheen that was undue on this campaign. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, it is the conundrum, uh, I guess. Uh, you can't not want your team to be successful, I think. You know, that's that's what it comes down to for me. I just want my team to be successful yeah. and to win things and to achieve and to bring silverware. And, uh, you know, it's up to the people who are running the club to run the club as well as they can. And they have a responsibility in this too, I think. You know, that the club have got some responsibility in, in terms of uh, what the future holds they're the ones that should be making the decisions, right? Not Arsene Wenger. So, uh, but it's how strong those uh, voices are at the board level. And I don't think they're strong enough. No. Well, we shall see. Maybe some of these new voices on the board uh, might be a little stronger than the ones that we have grown accustomed to. What did you um, make of all the stories over the weekend, speaking of Arsene Wenger's possible departure about uh, Thomas, I don't actually know how to pronounce this, like most names on this show, but I'm going to go with... Tuchel, 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 Thomas Tuchel, Tuchel. Okay, let's That's, go with that. I could be completely wrong. That was uh, Tuchel. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, someone will tell us anyway. Um, 
what did I make of all the stories? Kind of interesting. It's been interesting how much stuff has come out um, from Germany over the last little while. Isn't it? You know, that there seems to be this growing source of Arsenal information from Germany, whether it's to do with Sven Mislintat, whether it's to do with, you know, Mesut Ozil and Per Mertesacker being at the club, whether it's to do with yeah. uh, Jens Lehmann. I don't quite know, but there seems to be more information than ever emerging from Germany. And it's it's been quite accurate, really, hasn't it? You know, the, a lot of the stuff uh, when Aubameyang uh, was being linked, it came first and foremost from the German press and the, the British press jumped on board. Um, mm. So I don't I don't quite know. I mean, it strikes me that he would be one of the people they would be looking at in terms of uh, a replacement for Wenger. And in terms of the profile of the manager, it strikes me as the kind of one that Ivan Gazidis might like to make in order to shift the power dynamic back to executive level, right? Board and executives at Arsenal still remain secondary to Arsene Wenger in terms of the, you know, the, just the, the, the power at the club at this moment in time over all things football. Um, so bringing in someone like Tuchel would be a way of reversing that to an extent. They've got a young-ish manager who hasn't really done a huge amount in the game in terms of what he's won, but potentially a very good coach. I know that Lewis Ambrose, who writes the tactics column for uh, for Ars blog and is a, a a keen student of the German game, rates him very highly. So I'll you know I'll take his uh, opinion on that myself. Um, but it seems to be. A nothing story based on what uh, Raphael Honigstein tweeted last night. Did you see that as well? Yeah, I, I did actually. And I spoke briefly to Raphael. He insists that there is uh, nothing in it, really, and that people at Arsenal don't know anything about these these links. So uh, that would appear to be that for now. Um, but, you know, I, I think that we're going to see more of this, aren't we, in the coming weeks? Like inevitably, managers are, while there is still somebody in charge, you know, it's inevitable. And I think it's something that Arsenal presumably have to push on with. You have to think that they would be making at least informal contact with any potential candidates because otherwise they're going to leave themselves in a potentially a nightmare position if Arsene Wenger does surprisingly resign or they choose to let him go and they haven't got anything lined up. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about winning the Europa League as the dream scenario, but clearly there's an, there's an alternative scenario, isn't there, where... We get knocked out of the Europa League and then the sort of glue that's holding everything together at this moment in time starts to come apart, right? So what's left of our season is entirely based around what we do in Europe and how we play in Europe and how we perform in Europe. You know, you spoke about the Premier League being irrelevant at this stage. And I think, you know, from the point of view of where we're going to finish or what we can do in the Premier League, that's very much the case. Uh, It would just be interesting to see how performances would be would be after uh, a European elimination when this is a group of players that has now essentially nothing to play for. That would be a, a real worry. Well, and and the reaction maybe or, or uh, a number of defeats between now and May in the Premier League is only going to make things worse. Seats are only going to get emptier. And that would be the thing that could prompt the board into action in that regard. That's it. I think it's irrelevant in terms of our final league position, probably. But I don't think the Premier League's irrelevant in terms of how it could influence the mood at the club between now and the end of the season, particularly if, as you say, we go out of Europe. I mean, the structural thing, it it did intrigue me when it initially broke and I was kind of a little bit disheartened to see 
the story kind of written off so quickly because he really did get the best out of Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. I mean, they had fantastic time under him. He kind of converted Aubameyang into that definitive poacher, you know, bit of guy had been playing on the flanks a bit. And Mkhitaryan mm. had that remarkable season that earned him the move to Manchester United amid interest from Arsenal. So it would have been interesting to see them reunited with a coach. They clearly have a great rapport with and who has a great understanding of how to use them. But it seems... It seems nothing in it. And there was also the whole Mislintat beef, wasn't there, as yeah. well, that a lot of people brought up as a reason. But that was interesting, wasn't it? The happen. kicker were saying, yeah, Mislintat has assured Arsenal that, you know, there'd be no problem uh, with Tuchel if, uh, if, mm. he, if he came in. So, I don't know. There's, there's some information coming there from somewhere, isn't there? There's somebody feeding kicker that information, and they seem to suggest that the source of it was, uh, was within Arsenal, was... Uh, from London. It wasn't necessarily, mm. it wasn't contact with uh, Tuchel himself. It was uh, It was from there. So it'd be interesting to know where that's coming from or what kind of games are being played because I think we underestimate perhaps uh, how political football clubs can be. Um, you know, we saw that with Mislintat and Gazidis uh, being pictured in Dortmund uh, before the Aubameyang thing. You know, we... we, we uh, we drew the message that was being sent there. We saw what was being sent there by Ivan Gazidis to show that, you know, he's involved. He's not uh, just some lackey who's wheeled out to uh, to give, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, polished uh, speeches, which, uh, which get people on side for a little while until they realize that basically he's spoken a lot but said very little. It was him showing that he is part of what goes on at the football club. So there are agendas at play, I'm sure. And there's boardroom uh, wranglings and it happens at all kinds of clubs where people are jostling for their little bit of power because they're beginning to sense that something is changing and they're trying to position themselves in certain ways. So... I think we'll see a bit more, and certainly if we go out of the Europa League, then I expect all kinds of all kinds of stories about who's going to be the next manager. Yeah, and I guess stories like this as well, you have to remember, benefit the potential candidate as well. I mean, she was being talked about in association with other jobs, Chelsea potentially, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, and it does no harm to his profile, so he's not going to, you know, move to, to stop it coming out. So, yeah, I think the, I don't think this is the last manager we'll see linked with the position between now and the end of the season, kind of irrespective of what's happening on the pitch. Yeah, one of the uh, people who went away on international duty with a bit of a fanfare was Jack Wilshire. He was talking about Mm. Uh, you know how great it was to be back in the England squad he wanted to uh, to get there and obviously play in the World Cup this summer that's uh, an ambition and a target for him you can understand that of course but he was ruled out of both games with a knee injury described as minor but when it comes to Jack you just can't be sure if it's minor or not no, I mean, you know, Jack Wilshere, you know, being out with a minor injury can very quickly become a major one. I mean, it does seem like a relatively small problem. He was expected to be available on Tuesday to face Italy, but then he's not available to mm. face Tuesday and Italy. So, you know, we're into that slightly frightening Wilshere territory. And I think it casts an interesting light on the contract negotiations with Jack. You know, this is precisely the sort of problem that might make Arsenal a little reticent to to give him what he's asking for. 
Yeah, I mean, what did you make of the the revelation, I guess you would say, that Arsene Wenger told him last summer, if a club comes in for you, you can leave? Uh, I was unsurprised by it, really. I mean, I... I, I think was that was that the summer before last, as in summer he went to Bournemouth, or do you mean this this summer just gone? It was this summer just gone, wasn't it? Right, I think so. I, I, probably. I mean, I'm I'm just suddenly thought no. I, I think I, th- I think it is. It's this summer just gone because the uh, the one the previous summer he was only just making his way back from injury. Remember, and he started. We uh, didn't yeah. start. He played as sub in a couple of games, and then obviously went to Bournemouth before the end of the transfer window. So I think it was while he was recovering from the broken leg, he got at Bournemouth. He was in the gym, and Arsene Wenger said, "Look, if a, if a club comes in for you, you can go." Which is essentially a manager saying, uh, "I don't need you. I don't want you." anymore uh if you're here mm. you'll you might be handy but basically i'm not i'm not counting on you i mean to be honest i was in that boat myself i uh, last summer i was convinced jack wilshire would leave arsenal and i think i would have advocated selling him i don't think he'd had the best season at bournemouth and i think another major injury at the end of that albeit an impact one to me kind of was sort of the final nail in the coffin of his arsenal career i was surprised that he stuck around and it shows i guess one of the characteristics of the last few years of Arsene Wenger's reign has been the muddled thinking on squad building uh, and this seems to be another example where in the summer jack wish was told feel free to go you know find yourself a club and now he's starting regularly for us in the most important competition that we play the europa <laughs> league so that's i mean i guess some measure of credit is due to jack he stuck around he fought for his place unlike the previous season when he went out on loan mm. he when he got his chance around christmas time he really took it with some strong performances back then he's shown that he does have a role to play i think the the problem now is that the the role he envisages and the role the club view for him are they're distinct aren't they they're different yeah i mean obviously the club want to give him a deal on their terms and their terms alone um, but I, you know, you wonder if what what is the thinking behind giving him a new deal? If you were prepared to let him go last summer, what is the what is the idea now? Why is he has he done enough this season? Do you think to to prove to Arsene Wenger that he still merits a place? I mean, personally, I think keeping him as a squad player is no bad thing. I don't have a problem with Jack Wilshere staying as a squad player, but I don't and haven't really seen enough from him this season to suggest that he is a player who should be starting regular games for us. I certainly don't understand the the idea that, you know, we should make him captain unless we want to continue the tradition of making somebody captain who doesn't play uh, as regularly. But, mm. you know, if you're prepared to let him go, it also means you're prepared to fill his space or fill the gap in the squad with somebody you consider better. Isn't that the idea? If you're going to let someone go, you either replenish from within uh, in the hope that the player that comes in can uh, achieve their potential and perhaps be better and contribute more, or you're going to go into the transfer market and bring in a player who you feel can do more uh, for the club and for the team. So it's a strange, strange situation, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'm with you in that. I'd like to see Jack stay as a squad player, um, but I doubt he's willing to accept what the club deem squad player wages because... In his mind, he's an influential figure at the club. He's been there a long time. He's an England international. So he, pro- and you know, with the new deals for Ozil, Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, he probably looks at those salaries and thinks, I deserve a, a hefty pay rise. And the club, I, I actually do concur with the club that he, it's not really appropriate to do that. I don't think, I think that for the wages that Jack would want, I think we could probably get a more consistent 
more useful player for our dysfunctional midfield. Mm. But of course, we have to pay a transfer fee to get that player. And if money is relatively tight for transfers this summer, or if we need to sell in order to buy um, to a large extent, maybe that's a way of of uh, of saving some money there. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it feels to me like the relationship, clearly the relationship between Wenger and Wilshire is not what it was. I mean, I don't mean to say they're unfriendly, but, you know, if a manager is prepared to let a player go, it means he's made up his mind on him. And anything else is just kind of fudging the issue as long as you keep playing him. So um, we'll, mm. we'll have to wait and see. But, I, you know, I don't at this point envisage an agreement. Do you? No, no. I mean, a lot could change with the managerial situation and maybe that would influence things. But it just seems like an impasse. It seems like they're... They want different things. Ultimately, they're too far apart, and I think I think Jack will go. I mean, my my guy. If I if you said to me, make a call on it, I think he will go, and I think he'll. I think he might go abroad. I think he might go abroad. Do you think but so? We'll see. You think? He'll yeah, go- I've just got a hunch. Right, right. Do I you mean, think he would stay in this country? I think so because probably the money that he'll get from another Premier League club will be better than he get abroad which I think is a, a, a significant factor for most English players. It's why it surely can't be that there aren't clubs abroad that are interested in players from England. Uh, it's because the wages in foreign leagues don't compete with the wages in the Premier League because of the money that's on offer because of Sky and BT and all the broadcast rights and everything else. So, uh, you know, he could go to somewhere like Everton, I guess. Sam Allardyce is talking about how uh, how much he admires Jack Wilshire. There could be like a little Arsenal enclave, Theo Walcott, Jack Wilshire, who knows who else between now and uh, and the summer. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Aaron Ramsey, he could go to Everton too. We're going to sell Aaron Ramsey for about five million pounds. That's what I think. He's going to go to Everton as well. I mean, I, yeah, I mean they they could do, they could do with another number ten, I suppose, to add to you know Wayne Rooney, Gilfie Sigurdsson, Dave Davy class, and basically all the number tens they brought in the summer. They could probably do with another one now. Yeah, I, um, uh, yeah, I said I thought he'd go abroad, and now thinking about it for about thirty seconds. Jack Wilshire, the man who turned down AC Milan and company in favour of going to Bournemouth. So Mm. maybe not. Maybe I was wrong about that. Yeah, well, on that, before we uh, go into part two and the questions, uh, there's one here from Ken who's at Crowhaven or Croven. I don't know. And he says, hey, James, could you please stop changing your mind so often? Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah. It's, it's confusing in here, guys. It's confusing in here. You know, you're speaking fast. You say things. You regret them seconds later. You feel compelled to tell people. It's a roller coaster. It sure is. It sure is. And anyway, you know, any any person foolish enough to change their opinion based on facts and evidence, what kind of a person is that anyway? I know. Yeah, they're an absolute idiot. There's no place for them in the modern world. No, exactly. All right, we're going to take a break. We're coming back with questions and more in part two right after this.
Danny Pellegrino here with a very merry iconic podcast here to tell you about AMC Plus with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus. Every day feels like Christmas morning from new holiday favorites like Elf and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arseblog and also on the Arseblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arseblog. But before we get into that, we have got exciting news, James. Exciting FIFA-related news. Oh, yes, we do indeed. We're finally going to play FIFA against each other for your delectation. Yes, we're going to do it tomorrow night, Tuesday night at 9pm, you know, UK, Ireland time. So whatever that translates to into your uh, particular time zone. I think, I haven't quite uh, figured it out yet, you know, in much the same way as we do the podcast, we just kind of make it up as you go along. But I think it's going to stream on YouTube. I think I can do that from within uh, the PlayStation What's It. I did practice before I think and got something uh, to work but uh, we'll give the details uh, online uh, on Twitter on a post or on the blog or something like that uh, I'll give all the details and and you can watch us play FIFA terribly against each other I have to warn you James I'm I'm a fouling bastard I thought you might be. I mean, I, I'm going to end up with a lot of injured players, aren't I? I'm going to end up with a lot of cards. I, I'm, I'm very, very fond of the off-the-ball foul, or certainly the follow-through right. where the guy plays the pass and you just cream him up in the air. So depending on the leniency of the referee, uh, there could be some cards in this particular one. So what are we going to do? We're going to play Arsenal versus Arsenal. Your, your best Arsenal team against my best Arsenal team. I think that's probably the safest way, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, and I think you know, someone suggested a draft system on Twitter, but I think we we both get free reign. We pick our Arsenal team, uh, and you know, whoever wins is the best. The best <laughs> at FIFA in the world ever. I think that's the the uh, the crown, yeah. the prize that's up for grabs. And uh, yeah, well, it should be entertaining at least uh, for the people watching. You're not going to see a great range of FIFA skills and. Uh, wonder goals and tricks and flicks and all that kind of stuff. Normally, if I try and do the tricks and, you know, you waggle the stick and hold the thing to do the tricks, mm. it, it just, the guy often falls over. It's much like real life. Are you using Danny Welbeck at that time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I No, I mean, I've got the game here and it's still in the cellophane. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously I have played a FIFA game before, but I've not played this iteration, which shows how long I haven't played FIFA before. So, I mean, you should beat me by all... By all reasoning. Um, but, you, you know, it's a cup game. It's a one-off. Anything could happen. Are we just going to play the one game or are we going to do best of three or what should we do? Like th- three, three little... Because I think by the third game, I'll have worked out like what buttons 
what. So maybe best of three, I think, might be the best option. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what teams we pick and uh, and who will triumph in this Arse Blog versus Gunnar Blog FIFA extravaganza. Yeah, looking forward to it. So yeah, tune in tomorrow night, and it's live. It's live. Uh, okay. Here's a question. Getting on with the questions. Uh, this is a question from. Why didn't I get it up before I started talking about? Questions. You seem so certain that you had it as well. You you were straight onto it. I was really impressed. Um, and and now we've got this awkward awkward lull. Have it, has it appeared yet? Yeah, yeah. I've got it. I've got it. It's from Matt Matt Sanasi, who's at Matt Sanasi. I think that's how you pronounce it. And he says, if we were to try and play both Aubameyang and Lacazette in the same team, how would the rest of the team line up? Just nine defenders, <laughs> and then those two. Let's see, see how we get on. Uh, it's an interesting question because I think that we kind of have to play Lacazette. I mean, we've got the the Moscow game is the second game after we get back, but I don't know if you can throw him straight into that. I think he's got to get some minutes, hasn't he, against uh, on Sunday before he plays against Moscow, whether that's from the start or uh, or from bench. I think if you played them both together. I mean, could you just keep the shape as it is and put one of them out wide on the left-hand side? Maybe. I mean, I think the idea is to play two strikers. I think this is what the question yeah. is, is if we're going to play both of them, can we play the two of them as strikers and what sort of formation we might use if we do that? I mean, could you play a sort of 4-3-1-2 sli- uh, type thing yeah. with, with Mesut Ozil in behind the two strikers? I guess what you would have is like a sort of diamond midfield. So you've got your two strikers up top, Meza Ozil behind that. And then I I don't know, what would you have? Maybe Granite Xhaka at the base of the diamond and uh, Aaron Ramsey to one side and, and Jack Wilshire to the other. Maybe that might be your midfield. Yeah, it might be. Uh, it, it certainly seems like the kind of midfield Arsene Wenger would pick. Uh, in, in those circumstances. Mm. But I can't see him changing the formation to play two strikers. I'd like to see it in a way, or even just something even vaguely approaching a four four two. I don't know if he can do that anymore, but um, I don't see him playing two strikers. Uh, I think he's too wedded to, to the system that he has um, in terms of what he wants from his front players anyway. You could kind of pull off a 4-4-2. I mean, you could put Meza Ozil on, on one flank and Henrik Mkhitaryan on the other. I mean, I know they're not exactly conventional wingers, but then nor were Robert Perez or Freddie Umberg. Um Perhaps the issue is that Arsene Wenger doesn't have a central midfield pairing that he necessarily trusts to be solid enough in a or two. I, I suppose Ramsey and Shaka would be the the obvious choice, but we don't know how they would fare in that system. Mm. I, do you think there's any chance Lacazette will start alongside Aubameyang against Stoke? No, no, I can't see it. You think he'll be on the bench? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to play Mkhitaryan, isn't he? And he's going to play Mesut Ozil and be with Aubameyang. Maybe I don't know, but mm. I can't see I can't see Lacazette coming into the team alongside. Uh, Obama Yang, maybe you could play him as you said as part of the front three, but but not as like a, a, as part of a pair. It's been this ever such a long time since we saw two strikers up front. I think it was mm. was it two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, or no, maybe two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, it was around the time Eduardo was at the club. We used a few combinations. We had like Eduardo and Adebayor and Adebayor and Van Persie. Um, I think that's the last time we saw a proper strike pairing uh, mm. in action at Arsenal. Bentner and Adebayor. 
living the dream. Oh, <laughs> trying to kill each other on the pitch. Um, to be fair to Ben, well, let's have another question. To be fair oh, to Ben, he was ahead of the curve there, wasn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He smelled a rat with Adebayor before before many of us did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair to Adebayor, he probably had a point on Bentner as well. They they saw something in each other. It takes one to know one. <laughs> fair enough. All right, your question. Uh, okay, this is a question. It's not an Arsenal related. It's from Mark Berland, who's M. Berland on Twitter. And Mark asks, does the World Cup this summer interest you? Um, yes. Yeah, because it's a World Cup and I just have grown up with World Cups and, mm. uh, you know, it being a, a, a feast of football during the summer. You know, there's football on all the time. That's cool. It's just a cool thing. Maybe nowadays it's not quite as cool because there's so much saturation of football. I mean, the great thing about the World Cup was the ones that really stick in your mind, certainly the ones that stick in my mind, 82, 86, Italian 90. um, The great thing about those was there was so little football on the TV that this was like... It was like being a starving man and just being served up a sumptuous meal, you know, three or four times a day. Uh, And I think that had an impact on how you viewed those particular World Cups. And now it's like, oh, is there no end to football? Is there no is there no game that won't be televised at some point somewhere? So I think it has in some ways lost a little bit of the sheen that it had. But yeah, I'm interested in it to see how it'll go. I'm kind of interested in seeing what just what happens in general around the World Cup and around fans uh, and uh, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not hugely wedded to any particular team. Obviously, Ireland aren't there. Um, normally, my focus is on the team which has the most Arsenal players in it. So it'll be about watching, you know, uh, maybe Germany or France to an extent. France was always one. Germany, Mesut Ozil, um, England, if Jack gets in there. But yeah, I'm interested. But like, I'm not going to... I'm not going to lie and say I'm like hugely excited by it or or I can't wait for it. It'll just be there. It'll be on. It'll be summertime. It'll be warm. You can have a beer and watch the football and that will be that. My favourite World Cup memory. I mean, I actually went to the the last two World Cups. I was in South Africa and I was in That's Brazil. Right. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm not going to this one, and I'm probably not going to Qatar either. So, yeah, it's uh, it'll be a bit of a different experience for me this time watching it on the telly. But my favourite memory of the World Cup probably is watching it on the telly. I mean, I had a I had a great time watching the 2002 World Cup in Japan and Korea because at the time mm. I was doing my GCSEs. I was just I was 16 then. I had exams every day. And I was rev- and I was off school when you've got exams. It was off school revising, and the games were all at like they started at like five or six in the morning, didn't they? Because of the time difference. Yeah. And um, I used to wake up and watch watch the games, and then uh, go off and do an exam. I mean, I enjoy the exam bit. As a, as a miracle, I passed any, to be honest, given how much football I was watching. But uh, that was a great World Cup. Junichi Inamoto was really good. I thought, oh. Maybe he is a player after all, and then he, he never did anything at all. Yeah, um, but I am looking forward to it. Who will be the most Arsenal-y international team? Is it Germany with Mustafi and Özil? Yeah, that's if Mustafi gets in. He wasn't in the squad for the uh, for the games uh, over the international True. break. Um, France, you would have said France because we would have had Giroud and Koscielny and Lacazette. So Koscielny, Lacazette. 
will be our two mm-hmm. French. Um, Wilshire for England. Egypt. With Mohamed El Neni, he's going to Russia, as we know. He is going to Russia, unlike Sam. Unlike um, Sam. A Colombia, I guess. Yeah, David Ospina. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's not like there's a real big Arsenal contingent at any one country, is there? So, Unless we're going to buy a load of, you know, Germans or something this summer. That would be give us something to cheer about. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I love the World Cup. I mean, you know, it's... it's uh, yeah, it's definitely preferable to watching the preseason friendlies that I would probably otherwise be watching. So I'll, I'll take the World Cup every time. All right. Here's a question from KB, who's at KB underscore is underscore on. And he says, what's your view on how to get the most out of our promising young players? Loan them out sooner? Risk it by playing them some more? So often early promise just seems to fall away. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've been thinking about recently because of this Reese Nelson situation where you've got a young player of enormous potential struggling for playing time, really, and it seems to be influencing potentially his decision about signing a new contract and his future. Um, I do wonder if maybe sometimes abroad manage these situations a bit better. And I hope maybe Rousenier, he might be able to bring in some of that expertise from Barcelona, of course, it's different for them because they have the B team, right? They have a, a team playing competitive uh, football yeah. in the second tier. But they also do some quite canny transfer business. I think they make very good use of the the loan market, and they also they they operate the buyback system as well. If you look at someone like Alvaro Morata, for example, at Real Madrid, he was loaned out, bought back, uh, and then sold on at a great profit, but was a very handy first team player at his time at the Bernabeu. Similarly, mm. you know, someone like, I mean, Dale Lefebvre is not maybe not the best example, but he's someone who Barcelona have kept hold of while developing him at other clubs. Um, and I, I do wonder if there's room, I mean, it's not really in the culture of English football, is it, to let a guy go for a year or two years and then buy him back or, or send him on an extended loan. But I do think that, that might be the future because, I just think the under-23s league is not significantly competitive for these players to to develop as they need to. Yeah, yeah, it is. And there's a huge difference between playing, uh, being the best guy at that level and then playing first-team football somewhere. So, yeah, I think perhaps loan spells uh, at an earlier age might be a thing. But, of course, at every level of football, there is a pressure on managers to get results. So we can say here, we can sit here and say, yeah, let's just loan him out to a lower division club and let's let him develop there and play regularly there. But the manager of that club, you know, has either got to get promotion or avoid relegation or whatever. And the risk of playing a young player is the same for him as it is, you know, for Arsene Wenger to an extent that if they're going to learn on the job, just because they're learning at a slightly lower level doesn't mean the impact of their mistakes or their performances uh, is markedly different on on the team in you know put in put in that particular context so it is difficult to say we'll loan you this player but we want we want you to play him you can't insist that a player that you loan mm. somewhere is played uh, you know, that can't be part of the deal. It's up to the manager uh, to decide what team he picks. It's also up to the player to uh, give the manager a decision, right? Just because you've come from Arsenal doesn't mean that you've got a God-given right to play at Colchester, for example. You know, you have well, to prove... Or, or, you have or to Birmingham, play. let's use the, yeah. 
let's use the example of Cohen Bramall. Uh, a, a young Arsenal player was involved in pre-season at Arsenal, um, playing with the first team, uh, you know, with mixed results, but was part of the group anyway, along with the likes of Willock and Nelson. Was loaned to Birmingham City in the Championship, like a fantastic opportunity for him. And all season long, he has struggled for game time. In fact, he spent a long period not even being selected for the match day squad. Uh, and that's probably presumably, I mean, there's a lot of stories about what's gone on with Bramwell at Birmingham. But one big factor is that they've been embroiled in a relegation battle. And this is a guy with very little experience of league football. So he might not necessarily be the guy you'd want to rely on in that situation. Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not, it doesn't always pan out like you'd expect. Um Similarly, there are other Arsenal players who are flourishing on loan. I mean, if you read George Bird's updates on on Arsblog and on his own uh, Twitter account, it sounds like uh, Kalechi Nakwali is doing very well over in Holland. So, yeah. and looking like a player who might come back to Arsenal and make an impact. So, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a really really tricky thing. But I generally am in favour of sending people out on loan. The interesting thing about that is that Arsene Wenger isn't always, you know, when he's got a young player he really prizes, his tendency is often to keep them at Colney, to keep them at close hand. Mm. Um, and, and I think Nelson, for example, falls into that category. He's someone who wants to oversee his development directly. But I don't yeah. know, how, how do you assess this season for the young players who came into the group at the start? I'm talking about Nelson and Ketia. Willock, uh, do you think it's been a, a positive campaign for them? I think so, yeah. I mean, obviously, Maitland-Niles has got a lot of first-team football as well. You know, he's the yeah. one who's made the, the biggest breakthrough this season. Uh, Eddie Nketiah is somebody who people have a lot of high hopes for. Joe Willock, Reese Nelson, perhaps a little less so because uh, because of the games they've been involved in, a lot of the Europa League games, Carabao Cup games, as performances were not particularly great, were they? You know, the uh, couple of the away games in Europe and certainly, uh, you know, a couple of the Carabao Cup games, they were very tight, you know, wins, one nils. And uh, you think about the Norwich game, it was a, a terrible, terrible game, which we were about to lose until Nketiah came on and scored a couple of goals. So it's hard to, it's hard to, judge from that point of view I suppose the the thing you would say from a positive uh, aspect for them is that they've had playing time and they played in European football they've gone away to um, perhaps not the most intimidating grounds but it is good development for them to play first team football and to play European football uh, you know it's been good for them I think um, it, it's hard to properly assess where they are in the pecking order or whether they're ready to make the breakthroughs or anything else but I think as well there is there is a these days, it's it's more difficult than ever for a young player to not make the breakthrough, I guess, but to convince people that they're going to be a good player or somebody who can have a first-team career at Arsenal. You know, if you think back to when Tony Adams was uh, making his way into football and he was unfairly... Uh, categorized as a donkey because he made some mistakes as a young defender, as young defenders do. Arsene Wenger talked about it the other week um, where he said, you know, if I play a young defender, I know it's going to cost me points. That's the conundrum that managers have to deal with, right? But the difference is back in those days, you could make a mistake and people would talk about it, but that it didn't exist beyond that. Um, the way that things do now, that if a young defender makes... It didn't makes, become a gif. Yeah, it didn't become a <laughs> gif or a meme or, a, you know, it it just, everything reverberates now and everything hangs 
uh, on a player, on a young player, on on even uh, established players, everything that they do now exists forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's mm. that's the criteria by which they're judged. And often there's this, um, what's the word? People are seeking perfection at all times from all players. And the minute you make any kind of a mistake, someone's going to call you a fraud or this or that, you know, and... I'm not I'm not sure it's a healthy situation for players to develop in and I wonder if it does sometimes have an impact on on the careers and the fortunes of young players that uh, the mistakes or the the things that you need to learn from in football which pretty much every player has to do they've got to get things wrong in order to learn from them and develop um they're not really led away with it anymore and I do. I mm. I think there's probably something in that, or something somebody could look at in a in a more in depth way, rather than just this off the top of my head thought. But I, I do feel like it's it's got to have some kind of an effect, even in the way that they play. Perhaps they just it makes them play in a more safety first way, that they don't take risks. Therefore, if you don't take risks, you don't make mistakes. But are you going to achieve your potential as a player? If you're an attacking player, for example, someone like Reese Nelson, he's a, an attacking, exciting player who dribbles, who's creative. Can he or would a player like him develop in the same way if he takes a safety first approach because he doesn't want to become a meme? No, very good point. I mean, it is a particularly punishing environment, isn't it? And the scrutiny is is greater than ever. Um, I, I suppose that's another argument, though, maybe in favour of the loan system. Let them make those mistakes maybe somewhere else where the scrutiny isn't quite so intense. Mm. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of the development of young players, we had this question from Andy Coates, who's at Andy Coates 10. Uh, and Andy said, why is it, do you think, that Chambers seems to be ahead of holding in the pecking order. I suppose Andy's asking what it is specifically about Chambers that makes Arsene favour him overholding at the moment. Any ideas? Maybe just he's a little bit more experienced, perhaps. Mm. I think that that that's probably it. Um, I don't really that's know beyond that. Really. that. You know, he's, he's got that much more game time, hasn't he, at, at the top level? Yeah, he had a good season at Middlesbrough. He played quite well for them. Uh, maybe he's just a little more feels like a more reliable option for Arsene Wenger than, than Rob Holding. I think Rob Holding is a player who I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago when we talk about players taking risks. He He's a player who likes to take a bit of a risk sometimes with the ball when he's using mm-hmm. the ball and likes to be a bit more adventurous in his passing. And perhaps Arsene Wenger feels like as a team, we've been a bit... Uh, we've been punished quite a bit, haven't we, when we've lost the ball or perhaps given the ball away in our own half. Uh, We've been rightly punished a few times this season. So maybe that's something he's working on with Rob Holding. There was an interesting article on uh, uh, Arsblog News, uh, Rob Holding talking about the influence he has with... um, or the the training he's doing with Jens Lehmann, how Jens is a good character yeah. on the training ground. And also, actually, if you haven't read it, there's a very good piece which appeared in the Romanian press first, and it was translated for us by uh, a reader, Lucian. Uh, and it's an interview with Vlad Dragomir, who's got a tremendous name, but he's a, a, a Romanian youth international. And he talks about life at Arsenal and about the, the education that they get, the coaching that they get, the the ability, for example, they can go to a coach and say, I want to watch Mesut Ozil, uh, and they'll 
bring up tapes and let him watch uh, what Ozil does and he tries to learn from that. So uh, it sounds really in-depth the way that they're they're taught at that level, the way that they're coached and the way that they're educated. And I think perhaps the barrier, the, the problem comes when they're asked to make the step up to first team level. But do check that one out if you can uh, if you can find it. It's, uh, you know, it's been a quiet week, so it's fairly high up on the site. So if you visit uh, Ars Blog News, you, you'll, you'll see that interview. Well worth a read. Anyway, I mean, what, what's your take on the Holding Chambers thing? Um, I don't know, really. I mean, I really, I really like Rob Holding as yeah. a player, and I, you, you spoke about that risk-taking element. I think that he is a bit more adventurous on the ball than Chambers. Maybe that comes with a certain element of risk, and you know, at this stage of the season with so much on the line in the Europa League, maybe Arsenal feels he he has to be a bit risk-averse. I think it is experience ultimately, but. I, I think Holding's got the bigger upside. I think if I was looking at the two players and saying which one am I really optimistic could be a part of this defence moving forward, I think Chambers, for me, he doesn't look like he's ever going to be more than a squad player at Arsenal, but I think Holding has it in him to be more than that. So mm. it'll be interesting to see what happens next season because one thing is certain is that young defenders don't develop if they don't play. And the, if Chambers has got the nod because of his experience, it's because he went out to Middlesbrough and had all that playing time. If Holding is going to improve, he needs to play, be that at Arsenal or elsewhere. I think that he does need to to make that step in order to kick on. I was encouraged by uh, what he said about Jens Lehmann as well, because you know we, we do have questions quite often about what, you know, what does Jens Lehmann do? Is he actually doing anything? And it was sort of nice to see the Jens that we know and love yeah. is very much uh, present on the training ground. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they they have some uh, heated discussions, I think is what he said, but, you know, there's nothing personal. <laughs> um, it was funny because when I was at Members' Day, I watched uh, Jens Lehmann and Rob Holding working together. He was getting Holding to... Uh, to spray passes from one side of the pitch to the other um, and was very encouraging um, when he was getting it right. But, you know, you could see him, uh, you know, demanding more uh, as he was doing it. But uh, there you go. Um, I have a question here. Um, I think, hang on. Uh, no, I don't. Hang on. <laughs> this has been a disaster of a recording. It really has. We're, we're, we're just not on it today. Uh, I do have a question. It comes from uh, Graham J. Hawk, at Graham J. Hawk. And he said, after seeing the Twitter conversation with Sesk uh, on the weekend, where Sesk was uh, answering questions and he said the favorite goal he scored was the one... Uh, just after uh, we scored against Tottenham, uh, TV barely caught it because we were still celebrating, which was a, a marvellous uh, occasion. I was there for that and I enjoyed it a great deal. He said, would you like to see him come back to Arsenal to finish his career? I, for one, would love to see him play for Arsenal again. We could do with a central midfielder with his ability. What do you say? Or what say you, he says. Uh, what say me? Uh, I say that was then... Uh, and there was opportunity for Cesc to come back when he left Barcelona. I think we've kind of missed the boat on that one now. And I, 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 it's difficult to see him as much as I love him as the solution to our, our midfield problems now. I think with a heavy heart, I have to say that the ship has sailed. But it does it does fill me with sadness. What about you? Yeah, no, it's too late now. It's too late now. I think we need something different in central midfield. Uh, and certainly uh, he's at a point in his career where, uh, you know, he's he's not getting any younger or faster. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that, that ship has mm. sailed. I would have taken him back, of course, 
when he was leaving Barcelona, but it wasn't to be. Um, but on that, here's another little question on Cesc uh, from Daniel Houston, who's at GoonerDan01, and he says, who's been better for us at the peak of their powers, not taking into account their teammates, Cesc Fabregas or Mesut Ozil? Personally, I, I think Cesc Fabregas, actually. I think that in terms of his productivity, with goals and assists, the combined numbers, he was very, very good. I think that he, in a way that Ozil doesn't quite do, I think he he galvanised the team with his performances. I think he was uh, a very young captain, but he was a leader by example. And I think that it's a crying shame that he wasn't surrounded by uh, better players and, and, and that we didn't have the financial power then really to bring other in other players of Cesc calibre so I would I would probably go for Cesc of those two what about you? Yeah I, I don't think you can't uh, take into account the teammates I don't think you can properly examine the two of them without taking into account the, the quality of the players that they had around them and certainly Fabregas mm. uh, had some good players there's no question that Arsenal did have some good players at that time but you know I do wonder uh when you look at what he's done with some of the players that he has had to play with in central midfield in particular, uh, what more we might have achieved if he'd had better players around him. So, um, you know, Ozil has come in and we've won three trophies during that time, three FA Cups. Got to look at those successes, I think, and say that Ozil has made a fantastic contribution. But I think in terms of what they did for the overall team, I think Fabregas slightly edges it for me just in terms of you know, what he gave and what he contributed to the team. Slightly. I would love to have yeah, seen I mean, both was, of them play together, by the way. Yeah, and funnily enough, that's the precise reason Arsene didn't bring Cesc Fabregas back because he, mm. he he felt he had Mesut Ozil and he didn't have room for both. I uh, I just think maybe I'm being a little bit influenced by those kind of dreaded intangibles, but I think of occasions where it really felt like Cesc dragged us through the game I think there was one match against Aston Villa in particular that North London derby you referred to before there were there were, there were a lot of games when you know he seemed to really propel the team forward and I think that just gives him the edge for me alright you got another question I probably do. Uh, oh, I do, yeah, but it's obviously a ridiculous one. So this is from um, Frederick Anderson. And Frederick asks, you either have to only eat soup with a fork for the rest of your life or steak with a spoon for the rest of your life. It's actually not a question. It's an ultimatum. Right. A steak with a spoon. Easy. You can't eat soup with a fork or it would take you ages. But steak with a spoon, assuming the steak was tender enough, perfectly doable. Do you think you could eat a steak with a spoon comfortably? Not comfortably, but like you could make it work much more easily than you could make <laughs> soup with a fork work. You know. Also, I'm not really into soup. Do you like soup? Yeah. I, I'm not convinced by soup as an entity. What do you mean you're not convinced by soup? What does just, it need to I convince you know. of? I just don't. Well, I just don't really buy into soup. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of soup. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Whenever a... I have soup, I feel like it's not really a meal. That's kind of how I feel about soup. That's a, it's often a starter, isn't it? You know, soup. Yeah, I'm on board with it as a starter. I can, I can, you know, you can just about convince me to have it as a starter. But when someone's like, when I'm like, what are we having for dinner? And it's like, oh, what about soup? I'm like, that's no, that's not a thing. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah, but you need you need you need the bread to go with the soup. What's your favourite soup? If you had to, if you were put on the line and you had to pick, what is your favourite soup? My favourite soup is like um, clear 
chicken soup. I don't like a creamy chicken soup. I find that weird. But like a a chickeny broth, like a like a Jewish chicken soup. You know what I mean? Like yeah. nice, With- mm, like sort of gravy and a, basically a bowl of gravy is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. It's what about fr- you? Unadventurous. I'm very partial to uh, a French onion soup. Uh, oh yeah, very I, nice. I like that. Uh, I very much enjoy a, a leek and potato soup. That's good. Um, yeah. Tomato, tomato's a good soup. I like that. Tomato, you can't go wrong, can you? No, you can't go wrong. Not really. Do, and then, do you like croutons in your soup? Um, not especially because they get soggy. They just become soggy. So I just rather have bread. I'm with you. Yeah, it's all about the bread. For for me, soup is basically an excuse to have bread. Yeah, yeah, it's good for dunking uh, bread in, uh, but I like it uh, of itself anyway. I think you know there's a there's a lot of variety that out there. You can make a lot of good soups, nice um, spicy soups, butternut squash and chili. Butternut That's a good squash, soup. a spicy. Well, that is a good soup. That yeah. is a good soup. I, I, I admit that much. Right. See, you're you're more of a fan of soup than you're letting on. I think you've In basically. Way, I'm changing my mind again. Aren't you've I? changed your mind. <laughs> you've absolutely changed your mind on soup. Uh, just thirty seconds. I think after I'm just talking. very malleable. I'm just a very malleable person. I just want to please people. I suspect is what's the psychology of it deep down. Yeah, you could be convinced to do anything if you want that person to like you. Is that what you're saying? Basically, if I want that person to like me, I will eat whatever soup they present me with. Yeah. Caterpillar. Alex Oxley Chamberlain. Caterpillar soup. Yeah, <laughs> uh, caterpillar soup. If I that would that uh, I couldn't eat a bug. That's another thing I would really struggle with. No, you know, like when they go on those te- television shows in the jungle and they have to like eat a larvae or something. Yeah, who's the no, guy that I'm, fucking? Who's the guy that's always doing that? The one that drinks his own piss and stuff. Uh, Robbie Savage. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> you know the no, guy. Uh, what's his name? Bear Grylls. Yeah. He's always doing that kind of shit, isn't he? Like he'll pick up a, a, a scorpion from under a rock and go, actually, the uh, the head of the scorpion is full of nutrition and, and he'll eat that and, and make a terrible yeah. face and then wash it down with a with a goblet of his own urine. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be into that. I guess if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. But I, I think you should just put yourself in a position where you're not reliant on having to eat uh, insects of any kind. I was just going to say, if I ever end up on a desert island or something, I think we all know that I would sort of die so quickly that it would never really get to the insect-eating stage, Mm. you know? I saw a thing uh, recently where they're making flour out of insects and people are making insect bread. I'm pretty sure that's the thing. Maybe I was dreaming it. Well, you're getting into bread making. I mean, is that something you would do? Uh, No, absolutely not. I'd use normal flour, I guess. Uh... Yeah, actually, if you Google flower insects, it's all about how you get uh, insects in your flower. But I'm I'm almost certain I saw they sort of dry out these small little cricket things and then they pulverize them and make a flower out of them and you can make bread and shit. The world is strange, though, nowadays, isn't it? It is. Uh, no, no. Imagine if someone presented me with a bowl of soup and then they were like, but don't worry, here's some delicious bread. But then the bread was all made of insects. It would be a nightmare. Yeah, unless you wanted I, that person to like you and you would just eat the bread. Oh, listen, if I wanted their good opinion, I would eat the insects live. <laughs> I, the, if, <laughs> I, what was I going to say? Apparently that's the answer, isn't it, to the world's hunger problems, is that we need to eat more insects. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's loads of them and we're not eating them. We're uh-huh. letting them get away spot free. Millions of the little fuckers everywhere. Mm. 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 Well, I'm glad we solved the soup problem. I agree with you. I'd eat the steak with a spoon, please. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. Uh, join us tomorrow evening if you want to see two terrible FIFA 18 players have at it uh, online, live for your uh, for your enjoyment. We'll uh, post the links to that on the Twitters uh, at Gunner Blog and at Ars Blog, and also probably on the blog itself. So check that out. Thanks for being here as ever. Remember, uh, if you feel like giving us a rating or a review on iTunes that would be very welcome just don't take this particular episode as uh, as the one that you should be rating maybe I shouldn't ask today that would be a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not our fault that there's no football maybe rate the next one after the Stoke game the the crushing victory over Stoke that promises to be an absolute corker of an episode exactly rate one of the good ones not this one Uh, we'll catch you uh, we'll catch you on the next one there will be an Arsecast on Friday as we look ahead to Stoke and the uh, return thankfully of some football so until then take it easy bye bye holiday season treat yourself treat yourself to candy celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply